This is Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis. How are you? Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. This is what we do here. We talk about the way that DNA has totally turned worlds upside down and inside out. Um, If you don't know what I'm talking about or you don't know anyone that this has happened to, don't worry. You will. And it might happen to you. If you're new here uh, and want to know what it's all about, here is the deal. So for years, for decades, for centuries, people have lied about paternity. And now, more than ever before, uh, the lies are coming to the surface. Everybody's figuring this out. And it's happening for a few reasons. One is the growing trend of these online platforms for building family trees and tracing heritage. Um like Ancestry.com or 23andMe. Those are just examples, not sponsors. Um, And then those same companies are now offering rapid and affordable DNA testing, right? And then on top of all of that, social media makes it possible to find people like never before. So this perfect storm has created a phenomenon in which people are finding out all sorts of things they didn't know, like they were adopted, but nobody told them. Or they came from donor conception, uh, and the donor was who or was not what their mother asked for. Um, They're finding out that parents had affairs, that things, wild things like babies were switched at birth. Um, Every combination of surprise, discovery, shocking revelation, if you can imagine it, it is happening and will happen and can happen and has happened. So that's what I talk about here. I started a podcast. Today, I'm talking with Toby. This episode has been a long time in the making. I can't even tell you. It's been like my summer project of 2021. I met Toby in October of 2020 at the first Hareth Hope and Healing Retreat uh, that I went to in New Jersey. And... uh, We talk a lot about how MPEs come from all walks of life. And I think that Toby is a great example of how different like two people can be or between she and I, like we are a good example of how different two people can be, but how a common experience can bring people together uh, in solidarity and support and healing despite the probability that we might not have a lot else in common. So Toby Toby came to the retreat as this woman looking for connection, Um, but what she has become uh, is this like symbol of how incredibly complex a DNA discovery can be and how so much can come unearthed when the truth comes to light. Uh, She's so honest, not only about her story, but she just doesn't beat around the bush about like her emotional toll this has taken on her. My, she's just, my experience of her is that she is just so fucking authentic. It's amazing. So I asked her to talk and then we had to meet three separate times and make three or four separate recordings. Um, all sorts of life got in the way. We had graduations and baby showers and then there was a technical glitch on my end, which I'm sure surprises nobody. But Toby just kept showing up for me and dropping into her story the same as ever, every single time. So it took a long time. And I had to send a lot of content to my poor editor. Thank you, Stephanie. But we finally put it together for you here today. So, as is the theme of the summer um, and many of these episodes, this summer, uh, 
this is another episode with a lot of adult content and triggering conversation. So please be careful about where and when you listen to this and or if you listen to it at all. Taking care of yourself is the most important thing. I was realizing right as we, as I was sitting down and, and uh, getting everything set up that I know this, I, I know about your story. I know the second half, like I know from like discovery onward, maybe, I mean, I know pieces of it. And then I realized I didn't really know the first half. So that's kind of exciting for me to, um, to talk with. I mean, I always love to, I talk, I love talking to everybody, but I like it when it's a new story to me too. Yeah. Um, but your, your story is, um, has, has some twists and turns that are, that are, um, interesting (laughs) to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we like to say Jerry Springer on steroids. mm -hmm. It's a little bit. Yeah. I was going to say, I want to say it's, I wanted to say there's twists and turns that are fun, but that is not the word I want. So interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. Yes. Intriguing. Um, yes. Or, um, you know, the story, I mean, you know, we've all heard it. Truth is stranger than fiction mm-hmm. our whole lives. And we're like, yeah, whatever, you know, because you read a good fiction book and you're like, oh, that could never happen in real life. And then you live through something and you go, wow. Yeah. Truth really is stranger than stranger. fiction at times. Yeah. So, wow. so where do you like to start the story? Some people start with their discovery and and some people start by telling me their child, you know, a little bit of their childhood or what life was like before the discovery. So I'm now 52. I was born in April of 1969. Um, I'm the oldest of five. And all of this that I'm telling you is what I grew up knowing. Okay. Uh, so I have uh, one brother who's right in the middle of us and then two sisters um, or there's the two of us. And then the two of the last two, she kind of just went crazy. So, um, so anyway, my mother got pregnant, uh, and apparently so did the ex-fiance sister, um, who, if I'm not mistaken, was married and had kids of her own at the time, but I'm not sure on that one. So, um, So anyway, so I am the reason my parents got married. My parents, my dad did not like my mom um, in the beginning. Um, Apparently, I have since found out that my mom was going to take me and move to Arizona. This all took place in northeast or northwest Ohio. Um, She was going to move to Arizona with me. My grandmother, my dad's mom, uh, convinced her not to leave, that she would convince my dad to marry her. And, uh, so she and did. How, and how long have you been dating or seeing each other or they okay. spending time so, together <laughs> from what I have been told, um, which I just found out because of everything else going on, just trying to get some real history of what was happening. My mom got pregnant in 68. My dad was in the army still. Uh, even after my mom got pregnant, he had apparently had just been home on some kind of leave mm-hmm. and was down in Georgia. My mom showed up at his place in Georgia pregnant with me. And I guess they kind of stayed together after that. I'm mm-hmm. not quite sure on all of the timing there. So 
the reason that my dad ended up marrying my mother was one, you need to put a warning at the beginning of this one (laughs) for various reasons. So the first reason we were always told is because my mother was a virgin when she slept with my dad and got pregnant. And so none of his bar friends in the little town they lived in could come up and say, Hey, she was good. Wasn't she? Uh, the other story is, <laughs> okay. the other story is I have my dad's feet. My grandmother, when she saw my feet as a newborn, knew I was his because of my feet. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's the other story. Getting married was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do mm-hmm. for who I'm not quite sure mm-hmm. yet, but mm-hmm. uh, so, so they get married in July. My half brother that was the other woman that was pregnant at the same time, he was born in August of 69 and a put up for adoption. So we go through life. My parents moved to Indiana. Um, my, like I said, my mom had four more kids after that. We kind of bounced back and forth between one small town in Indiana and Texas, back to Indiana and Ohio, back to Indiana, different towns, back to this little town in Indiana. So I have a very unique name for my area. Um, and I just happened to be in elementary school when Roots came out. And uh, to say that it was fodder for snotty-nosed little elementary kids and teasing would be an understatement. Because mm-hmm. I can remember going home and telling my parents, we are going to court. You're changing my name. I knew this in like second and third grade. You are changing my name. I cannot do this anymore. They didn't. What did you want your name to be? Anything but what it was. I didn't care. <laughs> yes. I did not care. When you're going to school and people are calling you Kunta Kinte, I mean, yes. it's just a big deal. When you're like in this little, I mean, I graduated with 93 people in the middle of a cornfield. So, you know, we're small town. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we, you know, like I said, we all are living in this little trailer. We were very, very poor. Um, my parents both worked, but we were still very poor. Um, I didn't realize it at the time, but years of therapy have shown me how toxic and traumatic that upbringing was. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I am also a survivor of incest, um, six years of it. When, um, when it was going on, I, obviously I didn't say anything because back in those days that wasn't even heard of. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can remember being, I think a senior in high school or a junior and hearing the word incest on Oprah Winfrey for the first time. Mm-hmm. I'd, you know, I'd really never heard the word before. It wasn't topics of conversation. Um, and so being the protector that I am was protecting my mother. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, so I move out, go in the army. And I'm one of those people that from 18 to about 49, it was not topics of discussion, um, didn't face it, the whole nine yards. And this does play into everything else. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. So, and you kept in touch with your family. 
I did. It wasn't like I you my right. mother. Like you weren't, it wasn't like you left at 18 and never saw them again. It was like you left at 18 and joined the army, but were otherwise a fully communicative, quote unquote, functioning family. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yes. Um, I loved my mom. I, I really, I loved my mom. She was probably my best friend. Mm. Um, so that being said, um, in 2015, um, my husband and I moved back to Indiana for family reasons. Sounds like you're both being really, um, good adult children doing what you're supposed to do or should yes. do mm -hmm. doing the right exactly. thing again, people doing the right thing for family. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, so, so that's 2015 and we lived a life. Uh, Steve wasn't working. He, he was retired from the army at that point and had been actually working for the government in a civilian position. And he got into that job to come out here. So we get in the house, we get everyone settled. Uh, his mother, like I said, had, she passed away two weeks before we were going to move them out here. Oh, wow. So we did bring his dad who had, was in the early to mid stages of dementia at that time. And we um, kind of just got into a groove with life. Mm -hmm. Rebecca got married, moved back to Virginia. Uh, Noah and Lydia were finishing school. I homeschooled all my kids and they were finishing high school. And we were just kind of living life, you, you know? Your beautiful um, quilts. I was. I was <laughs> making my quilts and I was spending more. Okay, so between basically between I when I left to go in the army uh and when we moved back here we would come back to Indiana and see my parents once or twice a year very short trips you know three four or five days and then we would go back home to Virginia and or North Carolina if we were living because we lived there also and we um we didn't allow our children to stay over with my parents unless we were there until Rebecca was engaged or almost engaged at that point. She stayed for a couple of days, but anyway, um, I digress. Sorry. I'm just like a little kind no, of the, all over the place. I well, feel there's, like. there's so you're not all over the place. I'm following you totally. And I think, okay. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I think, um, I think you're, you're, you're answering questions that, that, ha that are sort of like subtextually in there. Um, so, and so did, yeah. so, right. So did your, so for example, did your husband know about your history with your dad? He knew I had been abused. He just did not realize he, he was, um, he was very good. He was, a, he's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. He didn't want the details, right? Okay. He didn't need, he said, I don't need to know the details. Um, I know what happened and I know how it has affected you. And, and, and I'm good with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I, so, so anyway, um, so it was, it was, I guess what I was asking about was like, it was a reality for you as far as the history existed in so much right. as he knew and the children were not allowed to spend the night there, but otherwise, uh, but otherwise not discussed in any way. And you maintained a relationship with them. Pretty much. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I will say that in um, my oldest son, our oldest son, Cy, is biologically not Steve's. Um, 
Steve and I met when Cy was four and a half. We got married when he was five. So while I was single with him, I was living, I was actually living in the state of Indiana because I was stationed at a different, but in a different city. And my father and I got into an argument because he did not care for who I was going, who I was dating at the time. And it turned into this big, huge thing. I never at the time thought about how much control uh, and how narcissistic <laughs> that man was, but uh, we got in a huge argument and I can distinctly remember being on the phone with him and telling him, if you don't tell her, I will. And I hung up the phone mm-hmm. and I think in my own protective, naive mind, I'm thinking he's honestly going to tell her. Right. So <laughs> you he did tell you. her. Mm-hmm. He told her something. Hmm. And I just assumed that it was everything. Uh, and she called, I'm sorry. I wished I would have known, you know, and you're just like, it's okay, mom. I love you. It's not your fault. And you just go on with life and you keep going with life. Forever the protector. Ever the protector. Forever the daughter. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that took place in, I guess that probably would have been at the time, because Steve and I met 94, that would have been in probably the fall of 92, I guess. So she knew. She knew. And nothing was said about it anymore by anyone. Um, I do remember... I went over to their house a couple of weeks later and my dad and I were in the garage and I just asked him why, and he couldn't tell me why. So it just was never talked about again. So fast forward to moving here. And I literally, if there were no trees right there, could see the back of my mom's house. She lives two blocks at a diagonal from me. So I was seeing my mom all the time. And I was seeing my dad Mm -hmm. and my mom and I went to lunch one day, probably it was in the fall of 17. We'd been, like I said, we'd been here since August of 16. So it was in the fall of 17. And I was like, Hey mom, you know, do you think that this, whatever's going on with dad is because he's being faced with the guilt of what happened all those years ago? And she's like, no, no, your dad's just going through some stuff. You know, don't worry about it. It, it has nothing to do with that. And I said, okay. What was, so, he, what was he exhibiting? He, so when I would go over there, like I said, I'm the oldest of five. But mm-hmm. When I would go over there, everybody that wasn't there, all of my siblings that were not there to defend themselves, he was devouring one of them or their spouse. I mean, nothing good was coming out of his mouth about them. And it was like, he was attacking me for what they were doing. And I'm mm-hmm. like, time out. So go tell them, you know, um, so that was what, and so just, so that was unusual behavior. And you, so that's what you asked your mom about. No, it wasn't that it was unusual. It was just intensified. Mm. Like he would always have something to say about somebody when they weren't there to defend themselves, but it was. Um, it was just more intense all of the time instead of like an occasional thing here or there. So she's like, no, you know, your dad's just going through something and 
she was, I think she was trying to put it off as the cancer, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because he was having some issues with, you know, when they do a total laryngectomy, you can't talk unless you put a finger over the right. hole. It just, and there was a lot of things that they did not make them aware of would become their new reality once mm -hmm. it's done. So, wow. so I just, you know, I go through life. And at that point in the fall of 17, I told my husband, I said, I need to see someone. I need to, I, I need to see a therapist or something. And I said, I love you. And I can talk to you about anything, but I need to talk to someone that's not emotionally invested in me so that we can get this out. And so, so I started seeing a therapist at the VA here in town. Absolutely amazing. One of the smartest things I did. Allowed me to start talking through some things, uh, kind of get things out in the open. I learned about your inner child, which I'd never heard of before and just, and a lot of things. So I think it was, um, in my person, it was, it was a, it was God's timing. He knew what was coming for me on November 16th of 2018. My father came to my house and told me that he didn't care what happened in my family's lives. He didn't care if he never saw my husband again, never spoke to him or my kids, didn't want to see pictures of them, their life, nothing. He didn't care. And I was like, so after going round and round about how can you be a grandparent and not care about the lives of your grandchildren or your, you know, they left. They came and, over to tell you that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So... So from that point forward, I pretty much only spoke to my mother or saw her when I knew my dad was not home. Mm -hmm. In um, the May of 2019, my daughter, Lydia, our youngest one, uh, graduated from high school. And all of this really does play a part in everything that happens with part two, I promise. I know it does. I know it does. <laughs> no, I'm on the edge of my seat. Um, so in May of 2019, Lydia graduated from high school. She went over to my parents because my mom, you know, she didn't have the typical graduation ceremony because she mm -hmm. was homeschooled. My mom's like, hey, when Lydia is done, come over so we can give her her graduation gift and all was well. So that was at the end of May. She went over there and uh, she came home and she was in tears. Mm. And I was like, what is the deal? And so she told me how absolutely horrific my dad was while she was there, uh, throwing a remote across the room because she was talking to my mom. Yeah. So I was like, it's one of those things where in the back of my mind, I was thinking, you know what? I need, I need to tell my kids hmm. what kind of life I had growing up so they can understand a lot of the things that I did as a parent in trying to keep everything suppressed, like when I would come back from there, from visiting my parents and how I'd kind of like go off the deep end for a few days. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You are being the perfect daughter and you're not letting real life in. So I was like, okay, I am seriously done with this man. So I took my mom out to lunch in June of 19 and I was like, what? in the world happened at your house when Lydia went over there to tell you about her graduation or 
you know, mm-hmm. she's like, well, what are you talking about? And I was like, that was absolutely horrible to her. And she's like, well, your dad's like that to everybody. And I said, no, my dad, dad was not like that to Lydia at all. That is the first time he has ever been like that with Lydia. And I'm done, you know? And so that's the way my family operates. You say it and it's, <laughs> so in July of 19, my parents celebrated 50 years. Mm-hmm. I told my husband, I said, I, I seriously need to tell the kids what's going on, you know, the therapy, the history, all of it. And he was mm-hmm. like, that is yours. And you need to do it when you're ready. I fully support whatever you want to do. Steve and I and Lydia all flew out to California for a wedding. Noah was a, a groomsman and his, a really good friend's wedding in California. And Rebecca went out there with her husband, Corey. So we are all in California. And it is the day before the wedding. So we're at Morro <laughs> Bay. We're, mm-hmm. you know, we go out to lunch and we're sitting there and we're just having this great conversation. And Rebecca said something about, to the effect of, you know, mom, um, blood doesn't always make you a family, Mm. you know, and it was just part of the context of the conversation. And I was sitting there and I was just like, it's time. My children are all adults. Now they're all in really good places and they don't have to deal with this and be teenagers and growing up and they're all adults now. And, and this is a, a good thing. So it was so funny because we were standing at the door to leave and I was whispering with my husband and I said, it's time. And he goes, I felt like it was the exact, I felt the same thing. Wow. Like, yes. And I said, obviously I'm not going to tell them in California the day before a wedding, but you know, and so, so we get through the whole wedding, we come home and I'd already had a trip planned to go to Virginia. Uh, I had some quilts I needed to deliver that I was given to Rebecca that I was finished with. And I was going to go out and see her and Noah. See, uh, Noah was looking for a house to buy. No, actually, Noah already had his house at this point. Noah was getting to know someone. So I was coming out there to spend time with him and his now wife mm-hmm, and um, mm-hmm. someone I've known for 20 years. So it was really fun. And um I already had, like I said, I already had that trip planned for August. So August 1st, I get a group text. I'm part of a family group text. I get this text from my mother. Hey, that kid that your dad was a fathered and was put up for adoption has reached out to your dad. What do you all think about your, you know, him coming into the family? And we're all like, what's the big deal? We've known about this. I mean, all of us have known about him since birth. I mean, it was just one of those stories that was always talked about. Part of the narrative. Exactly. So we're all just like, whatever, you know, who cares? I mean, I I didn't care at the time. Um, Let me backtrack on one very important thing here that I totally forgot about. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in the spring of 2014 i did a 23 and me dna test aha for totally completely and the only reason i did it was medical only right i was seeing a naturopath she was going to take my dna extrapolate it throw it in this program and it was going to get me on the road to healing right. which it did it's amazing 
was mm-hmm. glad. Had all these family matches, couldn't give two wits of who cares. Right, um, right. You were my, on, right. Yeah, the medical part of it. My mom's family has traced their family line all the way back to France in the 1400s. There's a book named, I mean, so I'm like, and I'm thinking at the time, because it's not important to me, oh, looks like mom had a lot of family do 23 and me, whatever. And I never paid it anymore. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the top two people on that list, I'm like, I didn't recognize the names, but we come from a really big, I mean, like my mom's one of 10, my dad's one of 10, and oh, they were yeah. each one of 10 and 10. I mean, you're like, you're talking 15,000 people in a family, right. whatever. So anyway, so I don't pay it any mind. So August 1st, we get this group text. We're all like, who cares? If the guy wants to get to know us, sounds great, whatever. So I drive out to Virginia because I'm going to tell my kids about my history. Mm-hmm. And I tell my kids about my history <laughs> and kind of knock their socks off, sure. to say the least. But it, I believe, helped them. Um, I would like to think that it has helped them understand the way I react in a lot of ways, uh, especially before therapy and all of this. T- and so, <laughs> so, um, so I go, come back home. We get through that, come back home. I want to tell my son, Sai. I want to tell him face-to-face, but by this time he's living in New York City and there's just no way I can get there. He can get here. So I call him and I tell him what's going on. And he's kind of like, well, that explains a lot of things, mom. <laughs> <laughs> and then I tell Lydia, who is just starting her freshman year of college, uh, first time in a classroom environment in her whole schooling career and to say she's a little on the edge is you know putting it mildly mm-hmm. and so I throw this on top of it but she needed to know you know all the rest of them did and if it became a topic of conversation when we're all together she didn't need to be left in the, and like I said she's an adult and she's you know she was she was at a good place so this is the beginning of September all of my kids know and I decide that I'm going to write letters to my parents So I write a letter to my mother and I write a letter to my father. And I tell my father, basically, um, until you get things figured out, you are not allowed inside my boundaries for my own and my family's mental, emotional and physical health. You can't be a part of my life. I explain to my mother what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And um, when I wrote the letter to my dad, I was very specific in a lot of things that I have never forgotten, just Mm. so he knows I haven't forgotten. And I just kind of glossed over in my mom's letter. And Steve was like, you need to give specifics because I somehow have a feeling your mom has no real clue of what has gone on. So I lay out some specifics for her and I tell her that's just the tip of the iceberg doesn't even begin to you know give you a picture of what happened for those six years and my husband takes them over to their house Hmm. and the next day my mother called or she texted me actually and she was you know obviously I'm sorry I love you can I come over and I'm like sure so she came over and um we started to have a conversation 
and uh, let's see, what was the date of that one? That was because it all that was September 9th. Okay. So September 9th, yeah, she comes over. And I tell her, Mom, don't worry about it. You had a bad upbringing. I know you did. My grandmother was um, loose, to put it lightly. <laughs> she was not. A, my grandmother hated me from the day I was born. My mother will tell you my grandmother never liked me. My sister, my siblings, my cousins, everybody knew grandma didn't like me for whatever reason. Never could figure it out. So, uh, and I was like, you know what, mom, you had a shitty upbringing. I know that. We all know that. We know that you tried to do the best that you could do. And I'm trying to do better. I don't hold you responsible, you know. So she leaves. In the meantime, I get a text or there's a family like a baker family facebook thing and my aunt puts on there hey i always knew the bakers were a bunch of mutts you know and she gives the different countries and the percentages and she says i she got all this from doing a 23 and me and i'm just like what you know <laughs> so i send her I go on this private group or, and I like, Hey, if you guys would all take yourself off of private, we could share our family ties because I did 23 and me back in 2014. And we, you know, I'm not showing up on, you know, none of you guys are showing up. So go off of private knowing full well. Now it's just like the light went on kind of thing. It's like knowing full well. Now they should be on my list. Right. You know, right. Something is fishy in Denmark here. So she immediately on a texts me back on, a, um, and she's like, Toby, I am so sorry. She goes, I'm not on private. And I was like, okay. I was, so we exchanged pictures of our like first page of our 23 and me. Oh my God. And and it's just, it's, it really was one of those things where it was like so surreal that your brain, your logical brain is not allowing your emotional brain to know what your logical brain is seeing kind of oh, thing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I think it's just because there was just so much other stuff going on with my parents that it was just like, okay, this is so, so we send each other these pictures and she gives me a bunch of names and none of those names are showing up on mine and in the meantime uh this whole deal with tim the brother that was put up for adoption right. uh-huh reaching out yeah is got my mom and dad all up in a tizzy and my dad because of this kid that's what they call him the kid um <laughs> so she'd come over here and she's just like it's all my aunt vicky's fault because she did this 23 and me and, she, and all 23 and me wants to do is destroy families and pull them apart and i'm still not allowing the logical brain to click things in place <laughs> i can say that now looking back on it um mm -hmm. and my mother let it slip that my dad had done a 23 and me and had gotten his results back. And so, ooh, 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 ooh. so I, I don't say anything because, you know, she's, I'm like going, it's one of those where it's like, okay, yeah, this, this really is happening. And it was so funny because the day it happened, we're having a conversation right here in the studio. And 
the reason that they're having such a tizzy is because this young man, I should say young, he's 50 years old. I was say, you got to be your uh, age, right? Yes. <laughs> like exactly the same age as you almost, right? Wasn't born until January of 1970. Which means that my dad was, as my I put it to my mother, literally screwing someone while she's in the hospital having me because that's right. like nine months later. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, he's not, you know. So so she leaves. I go in the house. I call 23 of me because I know what my brain is telling me and I don't want to believe it. We just and she someone was else, like, yeah. thank you. She's like, ma'am if you share any DNA with anyone, there's no way they can hide that part of it from you. They're going to come up on your list. And I'm like, okay. So I called two of my sisters. So in the birth order, it's myself, Corey, then Chad, then Jonelle, then Mindy. So I call Corey, my sister that's three years younger than me. And I'm like, okay. Um, Something is going on here. And I call Mindy at the same time. We're on this group phone conversation. I'm like, there's something going on here and I need somebody to please do a DNA test for me because apparently dad has done one and Tim has done one and Vicky has done one. I did one and I am not showing up on their list. They're not showing up on mine and I'm not sure what's going on. And I just need somebody to do one. So they... Um, both agreed to t- take these tests and they both obviously do tw- 23 and me. Um, and we just kind of wait. Right. And oh. in the meantime, while all of this is going on, um, my sister Corey has known about the abuse since I guess, let's see, Sai is what years is 2001 or 21. Sai is uh, 31 now. So she's probably known for about 28 years about the abuse um mm-hmm. and in the interim of waiting on these dna tests to come up come back mindy and i had a conversation one evening and she was like our mole <laughs> she was keeping us informed because when my parents when i wrote the letters to my parents i let them know that Corey does know and has known since i was about two and a half three years old she and i both got cut from all family communication the day after the letters were given to them. Um, and so Mindy had come over, we're waiting on the DNA test and I told her everything. And, um, so, so that's the end of September. We're waiting, we're waiting. And in the meantime, my son Noah, by this point is engaged and he's getting married. So I am getting ready to fly out to Virginia where they live for her bridal shower for Callie's bridal shower. And my mother is going to fly out also a couple of days after I fly out. So the Friday before I'm getting ready to fly out, my sister Corey calls and she's like, my results are in. I'm like, okay. (laughs) And uh, she's like, they're what we thought they were. I said, okay. So I, at the time was down in Indianapolis with Lydia and we were shopping. So we come home. I go on, I look at it and I'm just like, this cannot be happening to me. <laughs> so I, um, I fly out to Virginia. Nobody knows in Virginia what's going on. 
None right. of my friends, right. none of my, you know, nobody. Lydia obviously knows everything that's going on because she's been living through it. Uh, my mom doesn't have any clue that Corey and Mindy have taken a DNA test. So get through the shower. My mom comes back home. I come home a couple of days after that and get through. I think I was home like one or two days. Mindy's results come in. Same thing. My mom comes over to my house and she doesn't realize at the time that Lydia is home because Lydia's in her room with the door closed. So she's thinking Lydia's at school mm-hmm. and she just lets into me like, oh. because apparently my parents had put out a text to all of the family saying no one is allowed to friend him on Facebook until dad decides what he's going to do. Oh, yes. Well, we had already, I knew this. You know, because Mindy is keeping Corey and I informed. Right, 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 right. Going on. <laughs> and we're all like, Steve, you need to friend Tim and get ahead of dad's. You need to get ahead of dad's story. So mm-hmm. you need to friend mm-hmm. him on. So he does. Steve goes on Facebook and he had friended Tim. So my mom comes over that day and she is just absolutely livid. Like, what makes you guys think you have the right to fit to, to friend him? And I'm like, mom you dumped me off family text the day after you and dad got those letters. So I had, I was never told I could, that Steve couldn't be Tim's friend, you know, because my two siblings in the middle, Chad and Jonelle are like, well, where's Steve getting off, you know, friend and Tim. So I'm like, you dumped <laughs> That was me. against the you rules. Corey. Exactly. You dumped me and Corey off of all family communication. So I, I, I didn't know we weren't supposed to. So she tries to give me this whole list of excuses on why. And she just won't let this whole DNA thing go. That, you know, 23andMe is wrong. That this, this guy can't be dad's son. You know, yada, 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 three bags full. And she just wouldn't let it go. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'll never forget. I have a bar in my kitchen. And I just mm-hmm. slammed my hands down on the bar. And I was like, look. I was not going to go in this, into this with you today, but you will not let it go. Mom, Corey and Mindy have done DNA tests. And uh, actually, I don't even think I told her Mindy had done it at that point. I was like, and the test came back. I'm not dad's. Dad is not my biological father. Holy smokes. <laughs> Holy folks. Exactly. So my mom is just standing there like, you know, and I'm like, mom, knowing my history that I have a son that was born out of wedlock. He knows that he, you know, I mean, he knows because he didn't, wasn't raised with his dad. It's like, you just have your baby and you just go on with life. You know what I mean? Right. Right. It's just, I do know what you mean. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, you do know what I mean. Yeah. And so, so I'm like, mom, I give my mother every excuse in the book to lie to me. I'm like all but verbally begging this woman to lie to me. I'm like, mom, you know, you were raised in the Catholic, the Catholic church and all of the abuse and everything. Maybe it was a Catholic priest. Whew, that was the wrong thing to say. Um, <laughs> I was like, maybe it was one of grandma's boyfriends. Cause my grandma had a lot of boyfriends and, uh, she was like, no, it wasn't one of them, you know. I was like, maybe it was rape. Don't you know I would know if I was raped? I was like, you know, I'm like, uh, uh, you know, I'm like, 
what mom what how you know I said I I don't need I am still trying to wrap my mind around it I, I mean I literally just found out she's like well I need to go home and tell your dad and I'm like why why do you need to go tell him I said I haven't even decided what I'm going to do with this why do you need to go tell him and so then she says you think I'm a whore and I'm like no I don't think I you know so she leaves. She does go home and she tells my dad. And I do not speak to my mother again until I get a group text or I get a, an individual text from her telling me that my grandmother is on hospice. Um, and I try, I continue to try to, to reach out for, to her, you know, hey, mom, you want to come over and chat? But I'm, and I'm getting, no, I'm busy. No, I'm busy. Okay. So November rolls around. My, like I said, my grandmother's on hospice. My son is getting married. So the way it worked out um, was, you know, Mindy and Corey got their results. Mom and dad have this absolute abhorrence to abhorrence to 23andMe because that's mm -hmm. the test that everybody's doing. So we decide we are going to go to independent labs and get a DNA test done because one, my parents won't believe Corey because she's on the bad side now because she knows. Right. They still don't know that Mindy knows, so she's still good. So if Mindy gets it done also, they'll have to believe us. So we all three go to independent labs. We get this test done. Test results come back while I'm sitting in the Toyota dealership. And I'm just like, I'm like, I, I literally had a panic attack. I almost got sick mm. on the Toyota dealership floor because up until that point, I was seriously like, please let, 20, let me be the one person 23 and me got it wrong with somehow some way let me be the one that they got half of it wrong i wasn't unfortunately mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah that person's so, out um, there somewhere exactly somewhere wasn't me so i tell my siblings i don't want any conversation whatsoever about any dna stuff until i come back from the wedding i want to go out to the wedding i want to enjoy my time and I don't want any of this hanging over me. And by this time, my kids know um, that, you know, there's this whole DNA thing going on. And that my, my parents and I are not speaking, which we, you know. Right. <laughs> and wow. so, so I, I, and like I said, unless somebody dies, I don't want to know anything. Mm -hmm. So I flew out there the weekend before to get a bunch of stuff in place. My husband flew out on Wednesday. Wednesday night, I got a text from my sister, Corey. Hey, can you talk? Did somebody die? No, then no, I can't talk to you. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I know that's the only reason, reason she called. That's an easy out. So go to Noah's wedding. Absolutely amazing. Beautiful. in this old barn out in the mm. country in beautiful Virginia. And it's an amazing day. They absolutely, it was wonderful. And mind you, nobody aside from immediate family knows anything that's going on at this point. So knowing Callie get married, reception, they leave. Actually, even before they leave, my grandmother dies. <laughs> the grandmother who doesn't like you. The grandmother who doesn't like me. And I will say... <laughs> 
that my first thought was, really, Grandma? You couldn't have waited till tomorrow? You had to die on the day Noah's getting married? Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I did. But it was really funny because um, I'm standing there talking to some friends and my phone goes off. And my daughter immediately, Rebecca, comes up to me. She's like, mom, can I use your phone? So I already know what's going on. Okay, mm. She doesn't need my phone. So I know right, what she's doing. Right. You know, and so I'm like, whatever, you know. So we, we get through the rest of that day. The next morning, you know, we have our goodbyes and we go off to the airport. So we get uh, all five of us or all four of us, myself, Lydia, my sister, Corey, and Steve and I, I guess that's five. We all are sitting at the airport in Richmond and we're just waiting to fly back here to Fort Wayne. And uh, I look at my sister. I'm like, okay, so what was it that couldn't wait on Wednesday night? So she proceeds to show me this exchange of text between her and my dad, which was vulgar, horrible typical dad and you know and she's like um she's asking him does mom know that you're doing this and he's like well mom's sitting right here well come to find out my mother was actually over with her mother at the time so she had no oh. clue what was going on between the two of them so I'm like okay so I had read that Stephen her had already talked about it she'd already filled him in you know so they're just whatever so we get on the airplane and uh we're all sitting in individual rows with mm -hmm. no one beside us was wonderful. Mm -hmm. So I get on the plane and I start writing and I write all the way to Philadelphia and we get off the plane and we just kind of eat and have some conversation. I ask a question about how long is a pregnant, uh, an elephant pregnant for and mm -hmm. Google that and get on the next plane. And again, we're all by ourselves, individual chairs, individual rows, the whole nine yards. So I keep typing. And I keep writing until we landed Fort Wayne and we land. And my husband, before we even came to a stop texting, and he said, don't send it yet. And I said, oh, I'm not going to, because I want you and Mindy and Corey to read it and make sure that I have not misspoken, not put any false information in that the timeline is good and everything. And he's like, okay, so I finished it and I send it to the three of them through email and they all three come back and say, there is nothing, you've left nothing out. Everything is in order. You've not misspoken. You're not, you know, I said, okay. So I sent that out in a messenger group. Cause that's the only way I could, I didn't have numbers to some of my family members. That's so sad that you don't <laughs> have your family members, but Hey, I did. Um, <laughs> so I made sure that everybody was on one. My, my, all three of my sisters, my brother and my mom, because I wasn't mm -hmm. friends with my dad on Facebook and I send it out and I just lay out everything that is totally specifically and only towards the DNA part of my life and what wow. had been going on since September, as far as that was concerned and, um, just let the chips fall where they may. So that was. Uh, let's see, that was November 23rd that they got married. <clears throat> we came home on the 24th. So that would have been the 26th that I sent that out to everyone. Of 2019. Of 2019. Yeah. Of November 2019. So, it's so fresh. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that Thursday was Thanksgiving. 
Mm-hmm. So Steve and I and my father-in-law, Willie and Lydia all went over to my sister Corey's house for Thanksgiving and we're just kind of hanging out enjoying the day. Um, the next day is my grandmother's funeral. Now, mind you, I had only had one real conversation through texting with my mother up until this point from the end of October 29th, when we had had the conversation in my house about the initial DNA test to this point, it had just specifically been your grandmother's on hospice and then your grandmother has died. That was all communication that we had had. And this was someone that I talked to every day Hmm. up until the end of October. Um, So we go to the funeral and I obviously want to know what's going on. I understand it's my grandmother's funeral. And all I want to ask my mom is, when are we going to talk? When are we going to have a conversation? I mean, I am 50 years old. I've been told my whole life, the only reason your parents got married is because of you. I've been told my whole life that the only person I've ever been with in my whole life was your dad. I've never been with anyone else in your whole life, my whole life. And I'm like, so I'm kind of like still spinning, actually, if you want to be honest with all of this. And um, so we go to the funeral, like I said, and we, she tells me I need to be with my family because they need me. And I'm like, yeah, they're the last people I need right now. Thanks, but no thanks. Get through the funeral, go to the graveside and everybody's leaving to go wherever they're going Mm -hmm. and I was like okay mom so when are you and I gonna have a conversation and so my mom is facing me like I'm having a conversation and my dad is in his pickup truck right behind us so when I ask her this she looks at my dad with this look like oh my goodness I cannot believe I have to talk to this woman kind of thing and I'm just like go thank you thank you and I'm sitting there going what you've Mm. got to be freaking kidding me so myself Mindy Steve and Corey and Mindy's husband Roro all go have coffee Mm -hmm. and we I'm just like sitting there reeling from my mother's reaction to me because I've never seen this from my mom before and my sisters and my husband are all going, well, it's about time you saw your mom for who she really was. <laughs> the next day, Steve says, I want you to get an ancestry test. You might get more family history that way. I said, okay. So I did. And in the meantime, I started going through my 23andMe list. And I remembered that in April of 20. 19 I had gotten an email from someone on my actually the number one person on my list um, before my sisters took the test saying hey I'm just trying to figure out my grandma's you know history and how Mm -hmm. you and I are family related and I'm like okay so I'm still at that point thinking it's my mom's side of the family because I didn't recognize the name you know so we could never make a connection never thinking that it would be on my dad's side why I mean I would why would it be right exactly so, so while I'm waiting on the ancestry to test to come in, um, that was uh, November 28th, 30th, whatever that Saturday was after the funeral, I ordered that test and my sister Mindy and my brother-in-law Johnny could put any private detective, private investigator to shame with wow. their investigative skills. 
apparently at some point my mother had told my sister Mindy that she smoked pot one time and this was the woman who never drank and never smoked pot because she was going to become a nun when she graduated from high school Mm. Um, and the only reason she didn't is because she slept with my dad and got pregnant with me oh boy yeah and yes. had to get married and had to have exactly okay yeah so she apparently smoked pot one time and she started something with some guy but she got paranoid so she told him to stop and she Ooh. let some names slip to mindy so mindy and because i have access to ancestry now and all of the yearbooks and everything else her and johnny they just go to town with all this information and i'm just like reeling from all of it so they track this guy down that my mom went to high school with and you know this that and the other and I'm just like okay 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 and I'm sending emails to people on my list that are not that aren't names that I generally recognize from all of the family names just saying hey I'm 50 years old I'm very happily married I don't want anything I just found out that my dad is not my dad. Uh, I want the truth. I am a survivor of incest and I just want to know what, what was, what should have been, what could have been, you know, kind of thing. And I am um, really not getting anything back um, because of where my parents lived. My parents are from Northwest Ohio. And nobody on that list has any information about anyone in their families ever being in Ohio because there's people in Kentucky, people in Michigan, people in Connecticut. I mean, they're just, they're all over. So I'm coming up with nothing and I, uh, I just wait. So December 5th, my mom calls me and she wants to talk, but she wants to know when Lydia has gone to school because when she left my house that day in October, she said, I called her a whore. That's what I was told. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I knew full well I hadn't. And I know Lydia was there and had heard it. And she, she didn't want Lydia to be there. So (laughs) Lydia leaves to go to school. She says, let me know when Lydia leaves for class. And I said, okay. So Lydia, when you're all alone, thank you. Well, she was actually waiting in my driveway. Because I told oh her one time gosh. when Lydia was leaving. Well, right before she gets there, right before Lydia leaves, as she's getting ready to leave, I'm just like, you know what? I know this woman. I really know her now after the funeral. Mm-hmm. I really know her. I need to video this. So I'm like, okay, if I do it on my phone, it only lasts so long and then it cuts off and then she'll know that I was videoing. Okay, I can't do that. And I just happened to glance at my living room and my video camera was sitting on the desk because we had videoed Noah's wedding. So it was still out. I know. Oh my gosh. The equipment was just right there for you. Thank you. So the way my house is set up where our computer table is at our front window, it's a big open space. And my dining room is on the opposite wall. My, my printer sits on this little shelf with an open space underneath it. And I'm like, if I open it and put it right here, it will go right to the dining room table. She'll never know it's on. So that's, I mean, I literally pushed play as she's walking up the steps of my front porch. So she comes in and, you know, it's like, hi, mom, how are you? You know, I'm sorry, grandma passed. And, <laughs> and this is when it gets real. So we sit down at my dining room table. My mom is on one side. I'm on the other side. And, uh, 
in being in therapy, you know this full well, that when you are working through trauma, a lot of past history will come to your memories that you haven't thought about in 48 years, you know, 40 years, whatever. One thing I always remember about my mother is she was very quick with her hand. She would slap you in a heartbeat and she always had really long nails. And it was one of those mm. where she'd slap and then the nails come out and come down. Ow. Um, oh yeah. She was, um, but the things I didn't remember about her is how quick she was to go off, to just go from mm. fine to that crazy angry in a second. Um, and after having seen her at the funeral and, and just remembering how quick she can be with that hand. I mean, I was a teenager in high school and my mother literally choked me in a Kmart while my oh dad my was standing goodness. there because I was telling her someone had a baby. We were talking about someone having a baby and she was accusing me of never having told her and I knew full well I had. And so mm -hmm. did my dad. And I mean, that hand was around my neck, not letting go that fast so I was like mm, she's gonna sit on that side and I'll sit on this side mm -hmm. I'll have the table to get ready so um <laughs> so she comes in she sits down and she proceeds to tell me that <clears throat> your dad wants you to know that he loves you but he just doesn't like you right now and I'm sitting there in my mind thinking, and I could give a rat's ass. Right. Sorry, I'm like, okay. Yeah. Then she proceeds to tell me in almost verbatim these words. And if you have to scratch it, I'm sorry. You could have won a fucking Academy Award for the way you've acted for the last 20 plus years. And I'm just like, okay, this is getting off to a really good start. She said, I've spent the last week going through family home videos, all of them that I could find. And you never once looked like you had any problems with your dad. You look like you were as happy as could be. So <clears throat> I, you can understand this because of your professional life. I proceeded to try to explain to my mother to get her to understand that when you go through something traumatic, especially when it's an extended period kind of thing, and you've learned to just squelch it and go on with life so that you can have some sort of productive life where you're not on alcohol, drugs, whatever, to make it go away, which I did the alcohol part um, when I first left home. She couldn't wrap her mind around the fact that people will function to get through life if that's what they really want to do. They will close that part of their life off. And a lot of people do it till the day they die. And I think I probably would have kept doing it had we not moved back here. Wow. But moving back here forced the issue. Mm -hmm. So she couldn't wrap her mind around it. She absolutely could not wrap her mind around it. She continues, she continued on that day to tell me that we put too much stock in science. My sisters and I, we just all, all everybody puts, by the way, everybody, this is pre-pandemic. Science isn't even like a hot topic. Thank you very much. Wow. She was and so ahead of her time. Mm -hmm. She didn't even know it. And she is such an incredibly intelligent woman. I mean, she really is a smart woman and she just 
you guys put so much stock in science. I would, I know you have Bibles in this house. I would swear on the stack of Bibles in your house. I have never been with anyone but your dad my whole life. Hmm. And I, and I told her, I said, mom, I said, Mindy and Corey, and I actually did another DNA test that will stand up in a court of law, independent labs. They all show exactly the same thing. Dad is not my dad. What do we do? And um, <clears throat> still, I've never been with anyone. You know, I, you put too much stock in science. And I'm like, mom, don't you think I wish I was lying that this was all wrong? You know, I mean, yes, my dad did. My, I lived a living hell but in the end i mean he's still my dad you know what i mean uh, I, yeah you know I, I, you know what i mean they're still your dad even if they're not perfect nobody's dad is perfect by the way and he's still not perfect but he's still my dad he raised me he made sure that i did have food and a place to live even if we had nothing else we still you know so so anyway she leaves she leaves that day and doesn't speak to me again. The end of December, December 29th, my ancestry results come in. And uh, the top of the list is a woman named Diane and the next is Marlene. And the next two on the list are the top two on my 23andMe list, Angela oh. and Jessica. Angela was the one that had emailed me in the beginning about, hey, trying to figure out how we're connected. So I emailed Diane through Ancestry, and I basically give her the same email, same thing I told everyone else through 23andMe that I was trying to connect with. Hey, I'm 50. I'm happily married. I don't need anything. I'm very well taken care of. I've got four very well-functioning adult children. You know, I just want the truth. I just mm -hmm. want to know the truth. And um, in, so when I got that access to the Ancestry DNA, uh, the Ancestry website where you get the birth certificates and all of that stuff, and I just really took the time to look at the 23andMe and the different ways that you can actually go in there and split mm -hmm. your father's DNA from your mother's DNA by, you know, cross-referencing everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I came up with some names. And so I started researching those names. They were not the names that my sister and my brother-in-law had come up with. That was not even any, it was, would have ended up at a brick wall. Um, so I started doing my own research and I literally had to get like a whiteboard. Right. Um, I mean, you would have because, to. Yeah. So I, I whittled it down. There was a family, um, uh, Giacchino's. And they were from New York. It's where they came to when they first came to America. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, he came to New York. So it was this, it would be my um, grandmother, great-grandma. My great-great-grandfather came over from Italy, settled in the States. Then my great-grandfather and my great-grandmother, who were not married at the time, came over from Palermo. And they settled in New York. They ended up getting married and they had two sons and three daughters. 
So I am trying to figure out which one of these is mine. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Totally. And, <laughs> and so I, uh, I start emailing different people on the list for my 23 that are connected to this family. And uh, I'm kind of, I'm whittling it down to who it can't be. Mm -hmm. And my results come in before I've got a clear case on who it is. And it's my Aunt Diane. And like I said, she, I emailed her, gave her the same spiel. She says, I'm not very good with this. I will talk to my niece. She's the one that had us do this. We'll see what we can come up with and I'll contact you tonight. I said, okay. And in the meantime, I gave her access to my Facebook page and my Instagram. So she could mm -hmm. see that I really wasn't some crazy woman. Just a normal person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so we, uh, when she told me who it was, I was like, oh my goodness, you've got to be kidding me. It was my cousin, Angela. <laughs> and uh, so the one I had been communicating mm -hmm. with in mm -hmm. April that we were not connecting out. Somehow, yeah. So it was really funny because she called me that evening. Uh, Diane did my aunt Diane, um, because we were going to do like this whole email thing. And I'm like, could I just call you and just mm -hmm. talk to you? And so we actually ended up talking for three hours that night. Oh, wow. It was the, it was the craziest thing because, um, just funny anecdotal things here. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Steve and I's son, Noah, our youngest son, he looks nothing like anyone in my family and nothing like anyone in his family. And we always used to joke, where did Noah come from? Mm -hmm. I mean, whose side does he take from? Because our girls clearly take, my husband is French um, Cajun mm -hmm. and they clearly take after that side of the family. Um, Noah does not. Right. I mean, he, but he doesn't take after my mom's side either. So my aunt Diane sent me pictures of my biological father. And uh, as soon as we saw the first one, it was like, holy smokes, there's Noah. I mean, finally, like, right. Yes. Yeah. And so we figured that out. Um, so I, I, I obviously have figured out who my father is, uh, my biological father at this point. And I find out that he has a daughter and uh, Diane and Angela are going to talk to her to see if she will do a, a DNA test. And she agrees to it. And I'm like, I will pay for it. I don't mm -hmm. care. I just want a definitive yes or no. It was your dad or it wasn't your dad. And we can just move on to the next one. And so she agrees to do the test. And she actually, we, and she ended up calling me and we spoke for hours um, mm. because they were all pretty convinced that it was him. So um, I know this is a cliffhanger part. <laughs> so when I was growing up, I used to joke with my parents and I used to tell them I am the perfect blend of the Baker family and the Robarge family. Because if you're a Robarge, you either are really big busted and big back hinded, or you are totally flat front and back. There's no in between. And if you're on my dad's side, you have a lot of medical issues, Hashimoto's, thyroid, mm. heart disease, kidney, all of it. And you are very large. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have any of that. Uh, I never had hormone problems when I was growing up. My girls didn't, my sisters, all three of my sisters have, and their daughters. Wow. So 
I used to just joke. I'm, I'm like the perfect one. So, uh, and my feet were always a topic of conversation because I'm your very dad. high. Yes, I am the only one that has a very high instep and high arch and long, long feet. Everybody else, short squat and whatever. <laughs> so, so this is all taking place in January. So Megan, her name is Megan. Megan gets her test. She does it. She sends it off and we're just waiting and we're waiting. We're waiting. No contact with my parents. Pandemic hits. Our state shuts down. And um, we're, you know, well, actually our state hadn't shut down at that point because I got my results on March 3rd of 2020. And they are exactly what we thought they would be. Um, my, I have found out who my biological father is. And I, we were already, Steve and I and Liddy were already scheduled to go out to Virginia the beginning of April of 2020 because our son Noah is an arborist and he competes in the International Society of Arborists tree competition. Nice. And he was going to be keep competing that weekend and it, would, it was going to be in Virginia. No, I'm sorry. The home was going to be in Maryland. They hop back and forth. Well, my half-sister Megan lives in Maryland and we were going to meet at the comp to meet for the first mm -hmm. time out in public, you know, the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, the pandemic gets really into swing. My state shuts down, her state, Maryland, totally shuts down. And she's being a labor and delivery nurse. She's like very apprehensive. And I'm like, mm -hmm. hey, I get it. No problem. Mm -hmm. um, so Steve and I, we still go out there and still visit with our kids, even though the comp got canceled, we still visited with our kids and came back and I just, I started calling my dad's sisters that were younger than him that were still living at home when all of my birth and all of this took place. And I'm like, what's the history? I, I, I want to know what's going on, you know? So they fill me in. One, my dad never did get in a fight with his dad in the front yard. No. Two, um, my grandmother did tell my dad that my feet looked like him. And she was the one that convinced my dad to get married. Three, my parents, my dad apparently didn't believe in the beginning that I was his. Um, and so take that for a grain of salt and just some other families stuff that's irrelevant to this right here. So I have all of this information and I'm like, I need to go talk to them. Mm. I need, you know, but I want, my sisters are going to go with me because if I go by myself, <clears throat> then I, they're going to say anything they want. If they take Corey, they're going to say, well, Corey's lying for you because Corey's lying for you because she she's knows on, the truth. So. Right. She's on, she's lying because she knows the truth. So she's on the team. Yeah. Exactly. Confusing. So then Mindy, Mindy is still, she's still in communication with both of my parents. And so they're like, you know, we're thinking if we all three go over, this will be a good thing. Right. So we, I wait for my state to unlock. We do the two weeks and then they do like two more weeks. And then I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, we'll go well over when the state's unlocked because I don't want mom and dad saying that I could have potentially introduced COVID that I broke restrictions <laughs> by going over there. I'm not giving them anything. Right. On top so, of anything else, you're not going to bring over COVID. Exactly. Right. Um, you know, especially with my dad and the laryngectomy and not knowing how that would affect them and you know, everything. Sure. So, so, um, on that day, May 3rd of 2020, my sisters watched the video that I had recorded with my mom 
at our just last December face to face. Um, and then we went over to her house. We walked over there. Um, and uh, knocked on the door and she answered and she was just as delighted and pleased as punch like nothing in the world had happened and I literally wanted to scream smack her and get sick all at the same time um, because I'm like how can you how can you be so jovial in the light of everything that's taken place so anyway, um, so we waited for my, <coughs> excuse me, my dad wasn't there. Um, he had gone somewhere. So we kind of just waited for him to get there. I was like a cat on a hot tin roof pacing. And Corey was. My question is, did they know you were coming? No. Okay. So your dad, okay. I was just curious about your dad not being yeah. there. Okay. No, because I, <laughs> knowing my dad, if I had given them fair warning that I was coming over, he would have left and would have been gone until my mom said they gave up and went away or right. my mom would have went with them. And then, so, yeah. So gotcha. no, I did not give them fair warning. I didn't give them time to come up with their stories or anything. Gotcha. So, um, so Corey kind of just, you know, carried on conversation with mom while we were waiting, waiting, waiting. Well, then my dad came. My mom went out to his garage to tell him that we were there and he wouldn't come in the house. He said he wasn't coming in. And I was like, so typical, so freaking typical of them. So, um, but also typical, curiosity couldn't keep him out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he came in and, um, the, uh, the first thing I asked him was, tell me the story about my name. I just, I want to know about my name. And he got all bent out of shape because he's like, you've heard this story, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, just tell me the story from beginning to end. I want to hear it. So I got another, you know, iteration of this story. He and a friend got drunk. They went to the beach. There was a, a Vietnamese woman there. She had a little boy. His name was Toby. In Vietnam. In, in Vietnam. Vietnam. During the war. Okay. During the Vietnam War. Yes. Back in 68. So I was like, okay. Um, so I must be the luckiest freaking person on the face of the earth. And I need to go to Vegas because I'm going to hit it big. And my family will never have to work again because I am so lucky. Because don't you know? Oh, actually, I forgot something. I even asked my mom. I said, who named me? When I was born, who named me? And she goes, well, your dad did. I'm like, <laughs> I was really cheeky. I'm sure she would use a different word. I was like, that's funny because he was out screwing somebody, getting her pregnant, and his baby came in January. So, you know, your dad was there when you were born, and then he left. Okay. So supposedly my dad named me. And I was like, you know what's crazy is my biological father's name is one letter off from mine. Just one. His name is Doby. D-O-B-I-E, just like mine. 
T-O-B-I-E. Never heard of it before. I don't know who that is. I've never. So I have since found out that my name, the spelling of my name for a female is so unusual that it's not even in the top 1,000 names of females in the last 100 years. So it's like, what are the chances? See, I should have went to Vegas. I even asked about, you know, I wonder what a bookie would put on something mm-hmm. like this. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, she denies, she denied at that time, she denied ever knowing anyone. You know, I did not give them any biographical information about him at all. I was like, you know what? you put me through all this, this is mine and I'm not giving it away. So they know his first name, Dobie, and they know that he's not from the area my parents grew up with. So my parents do not know him. They say, obviously my mom knows him. (laughs) Um, But um, she says, she said she has no recollection of ever being with anyone except my dad her whole life. And if she was, then she must have been drugged. And I'm like going, they didn't have Rehypnol back in the late 60s. And you're the one, you know, these are the thoughts that are going through my mind. You're the one that said you never drank, you never did drugs. You were the one that was going to go in the convent, but you got pregnant instead. So then you had to get married. So that doesn't give to me. You know, my dad's like, well, I believe anything she, everything she says, I believe. What she says happened, happened. I'm like going... But I'm, I'm right here. I'm standing right here. And I don't share anything with you. Nothing, you know? And, and these were the thoughts that were going through my mind. And, you know, it, it's like beating your head against a cement wall. So anyway, she denies ever having known him, um, ever having been with anyone but my dad. And um, obviously, that's not true. So my dad ended up leaving and going back out to the garage. And at the end of like, I don't know, I think we went round and round for, I think all told I was probably over there an hour and a half or so. And at the end of it, can I ask you a question? Did you feel, Uh did you feel like there was a possibility that she would say, okay, the fact of the matter is there was a man named Dobie? No. Because I honestly, not in front of my dad. I honestly don't think she would have said that in front of my dad. You know, what's really crazy though, is if you think about it, I mean, my dad was sleeping around on her with her own sister, you know, um, after they got married, you know what I mean? So it's not like as soon as they got married, he just shut everything off to everyone else. Well, that's pretty apparent because, well, they weren't technically married when he got the Tim's mom pregnant, but, um, so I, I would have probably been totally shocked if she had admitted to it. Right. Honestly. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so we continued to try to talk to my mother, you know, and, um, you know, one thing about my dad, my dad doesn't want anything to do with any of his kids, you know, those that know all of the truth mm-hmm. about the sexual abuse, about the DNA, all of that. He doesn't want anything to do with us. Um, and before that, he didn't want anything to do with us, really, unless it was on his terms and we were there by ourselves so that he could whine and complain about everybody else. 
and my mom would join in. And so, but um, if my mom wanted to do something, like if she wanted to go somewhere with me, my dad would say, go, I'm not holding you back, go. So my mom would go and then she would come home and he'd have an attitude and she'd have to deal with that the rest of the day or for two days or however long he felt like having an attitude. So she chose the easy path. She copped out and she wouldn't ever hardly do anything with anyone, her grandkids, her own kids, nothing. And so we tried to explain to my mom, my sisters and I, that you have children who want you as a mother. You have grandchildren who want you as a grandmother. And you have to decide how you're going to do that with someone that doesn't want anything to do with his kids or grandkids. But you have to be the one to, do, to decide that because we're done doing it for you. You're an adult, you need to figure it out. And so we left her house with no resolution. Um, two days later, she sent a group text to all of us saying that I came over there with an attitude and my whole goal was to just rip her, rip her apart. Mm -hmm. And I'm like going, Okay, she totally missed the whole freaking point of the whole day, but that's okay because that doesn't surprise me because you know it's got to be turned back on her. So, um, so that was May third, and of twenty twenty, uh, of twenty twenty, yes. And um, and what has taken place since then? A lot, <laughs> a whole lot. Um, so I have gotten connected with, um, togetherness heals and PE only group mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on a couple of those retreats that have been absolutely life-changing for me. Um, I have met my biological half-sister. Oh, Megan. wow. Do Doby's yes. daughter. Doby's daughter. I have met her. And it's so crazy because you, you know how in some of the private um, MPE groups, people will talk about how, um, you know, some have the experience where they go and they meet their sibling or their biological parent or other family members. And it's like they walk in and they, it's like they have one of two reactions. Either I feel like I've known them my whole life or mm -hmm. man, I'm glad I wasn't part of that growing up kind of thing. And, um, I would say me being the very analytical, logical person that needs to see everything in black and white would read these. And I'd be like, how can you like know someone right after meeting them? You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. So that is an unrealistic experience. Thank you. It's like, how can it, exactly. It's like, how can you, yeah, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. So I, Went and I met her. I went out and visited with my kids um, in uh, August of last year, August of 20, and um, on back where they live. And I took a day and I went and met her. And I thought I'd be gone just a couple of hours. And I walked in and I'm here to tell you, <laughs> within minutes, it literally felt like I was talking to my sister, Corey. Like I have known this woman my whole life. We are just chatting back and forth like, like it's the most normal thing in the world. Totally. I was there for over eight hours. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and I was, what's funny is I was supposed, I, I had started out my trip staying with my daughter and then I was going to end my trip staying with my son. And, um, and Lydia was out there with me at this point. And so it was like, what's the, yeah, I think Lydia was out there, um, because I drove. And so anyway, I was supposed to go to my son's house that night. So at one point he texts and he's like, um, the front door will be unlocked when you get home, mom. I'm like, okay. Um, so yeah, so I, I spent the whole day with her. She has two beautiful boys. It's kind of hard to wrap your mind around the fact that you have nephews that are young enough to be your grandkids. Cause I'm almost nine years older than her. Wow. So this obviously it took place long before she met before, um, her dad met her mom and, um, yeah. So, uh, what does she think about your, your name being Toby? Um, like it's gotta be odd to meet someone that has your dad's namesake. Yes. Who you didn't know, <laughs> like who your dad didn't know. Exactly. Yes. Um, it, yeah, it is. Uh, I, she actually finds the whole thing totally humorous and mm -hmm. totally normal within what he told her about his life before he right. met his mom. And then after her mom and dad were married. And so she's not surprised at all. Right. So, so in that day I met her and her husband, I met her two boys. And the craziest thing was she actually had a friend that had flown in the night before who was an MPE. And while she wasn't an MPE, she had a half sibling that was an MPE. Right. Um, yeah. So she we're totally, everywhere. We're everywhere. We are. We are. So what was really nice is she took the boys and she went to the park and play with them for a while so that um, Megan and I could have some some opportunities to to talk. And then then we went for a walk later that afternoon. Megan and I did. And it was so funny. We took pictures um, and we very much favor each other. Like you can tell that we are related, which you know, Steve and I were driving the other day and he was like, you know, he goes, the more I think about it, you really don't look like the rest of your siblings. But when you aren't looking for that, right? when you always are joking that you are the perfect match, the perfect blend, half of them and half of them, you're not going to look like either side. You're going to look like both of them meshed together. Well, another, yeah. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> I love the idea yeah. that that's perfect. Exactly. So um, we were walking back and she's like, you walk just like him, you know, because oh. I'm, I have long legs and I'm a fast walker. It's just, I, it is almost physically painful to walk slow for me. <laughs> and um, I have, oh, I, I'm not sure that we covered this already. So if we did, you can just edit this out. One of the topics in our house when I was growing up is my feet. My feet don't look like anyone else's feet, <laughs> but my feet are the thing that determined that I was Steve Baker's daughter right. by his mom. And that's what caused them to get married. Right. I remember my feet. the feet were the decision. Yes. And so um, Megan was, was pointing out the fact that Toby also had very high arches and very high insteps. And because I do, I mean, like I have to wear special orthotics. Uh -huh. um because of it and so 
Um, so we were talking about that. Well, then she took me over to meet her mother. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I actually met her mom and it was so funny because she, um, the first thing she said to me, to us, when we walked into her apartment was, so do you guys think you look alike? And at the time I'm like, I don't know, because I'm seeing her and I'm not seeing either one of us side by side, you know, right, and I didn't right. look at the pictures once I took them. I'm like, I don't know, because she kind of has red hair and I have dark hair. Um, and so she was like, you know, um, Megan's mom was like, you know, I, I remember when Dobie told me one time, he goes, I wouldn't be surprised if I got kids littered all across the States. <laughs> or something like that. Right. So for her, it wasn't a surprise either. You know what I mean? Um, so, uh, yeah, and so it was kind of like, oof. at that, at that point, did you already, had you already, was it you and Megan that had pieced together the story of how it's possible that your mom met him? Um, no, that was actually, um, Dobie's sister, Diane. Oh, okay. The first time that I talked to her, she kind of gave me an overview of the story of how she figured it had to be Dobie. Um, aside from the fact that her younger brother, Joey, wasn't old enough <laughs> at the time <laughs> to get my mother pregnant. There was only two boys in that family of seven. She said that, <clears throat> Um, and basically in a nutshell, Dobie was in college, had a roommate said, Hey, let's go out to California. It's cheaper to get dope out there. We'll bring it back here and we'll sell it, make some money. And so that's basically what they did. The four guys, there were four guys, they piled in a vehicle and they drove across the country and they got their dope and they drove back. And somewhere in that trip, their vehicle broke down in the place that my mom was at. So how they ended up meeting, I have no idea. I don't. They had, they had a, a one or two day detour. Thank you. Or pit they stop. <laughs> something, something. So that's how they came to be in Ohio. Um, and that story came from Diane. And then uh, at one point, Megan has sent me, um, it's, it was kind of like a memorial statement that she wrote after Dobie passed away. And when I read it the first couple of times, I honestly was not in the, the emotional mindset to kind of absorb what she was saying in there. Um, but I've got, since gone back and read it, I actually read it a couple of days before our first initial uh, podcast. And it was just like, wow, this guy was a really cool guy. I mean, he had his problems, don't get me wrong. Um, and he didn't sugarcoat his problems. He had been in a car accident when he was 17 and it put him in and out of the hospital for almost a year, I think with surgeries and stuff. And he got addicted to pain pills. And then, um, he kicked that habit and, you know, and so he, um, but he was also, I think a product of the late sixties and, you know, free love and, you know, marijuana and just all of that. And, um, just based on the information that I have been given, but he was also a phenomenal guitar player. I mean, he played backup for some really cool people, you know? Um, and so now I look at my kids and I say, okay, now I understand where your musical abilities came from because, you know, like I have one daughter that can hear it and she can sit down and play it. Um, 
and my oldest son, Cy, he can, he can pick it out. He can play the piano, you know, uh, both Rebecca and Noah are play very well on the guitar and the piano. And, um, you know, so, so I, I, I see where that comes from. And, um, but yeah, so, so that was, that was in August of 20. Um, I, I met her and then when, so I guess the first retreat I went to was in October of 20, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we all. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's when we met. Yep. Yes. Okay. So went there and um, that was a phenomenal weekend. I, I didn't know what I was expecting when I got there, honestly. Um, it was you know, I'm kind of like, I guess we're all just going to kind of hang out for the weekend and talk about each other's stories. And okay. You know, um, but it was absolutely profound. It was like earth moving for me in my journey. Um, that weekend was a turning point that I wouldn't give up for the world for real. Um, you know, you were there, the, the art therapy one. I'm just like, yeah okay, art therapy, whatever. Um, because I'm not an artist. I can't sit down and draw. But when you just let it go um, and you just like, just let it go, it, wow, is all I can say is wow. Um, the, the workshops released a lot of things for me. Um, so so that was in October of 20. Um, in December, my mom sent me an email and um, I could so picture her standing there saying this with her hand on her hip. Well, it's been six months. Are you ready to talk? And I'm like going, okay, really mom? Wow. <laughs> I was like, so I sent that off to the delete file and then she called and I sent it to voicemail and I took the phone out to my husband and I said, unless somebody's died, I don't need to hear this. I don't want to hear this. So he listened to it and he said, nobody's dead. I said, okay, well, you can delete it. And then she sent out a New Year's Eve text to everyone. Hope everyone has a good year this year. Love you all. Yada, 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 three bags full. Um, and then let's see what else. She sent me a birthday text, I think. I think she sent me a birthday text in April. Um, so I have, Megan and I have stayed in communication. Um, we do chat back and forth occasionally and, and you know, kind of catch up on each other's life. Uh, and um, went to the retreat in April. Totally different than the first one and in so many different ways. Um, and looking forward to the one in October in Pennsylvania. That will be nice. Um, and as of today, the 23rd, I still have had no communication with my parents. Mm -hmm. um, and I think at this point in my life, that is for the absolute best mm -hmm. um, because I'm not taking on my parents' guilt. Right. My parents, you know, the longer it's been since, uh, 
holy cow, it's been almost exactly two years now. Right. Um, in, in July of, uh, wow, yeah, about a week, two, yeah. Two years ago this July is when I decided to tell my kids about mm -hmm. the sexual abuse. And August 1st was when we got the first text from Tim that he wanted to meet my dad. You know, hey, you're my dad. I want to meet you. Wow. Um, and, and it hasn't stopped since then. Yeah. Honestly. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I kind of came to the conclusion, you know, you, you know how you, uh, you know, the, the concept of mourning people that are alive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've done that. Um, and I, uh, I'm still going to therapy, mm -hmm. which has been a very good thing. <laughs> and I'm, I'm kind of sort of journaling, get ready to start an inner child workshop thing for the month of August. So that should be interesting. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Keep me posted about that. It almost feels like, you know, two years ago when you decided to tell children or even before that, when you decided to start really addressing what you'd been through, it's sort of like everything fell apart from then on, but so that everything could fall back together. Yes, exactly. No, I would, I would agree with you. Um, as a matter of fact, I, um, I saw my therapist, I don't even know what today is. I was out visiting my kids this last week for my um, future grandbabies baby mm -hmm. shower. And so I came home and I'm kind of like feeling like I'm in a daze because we have a lot of late nights when we're out there. And um, Wednesday I was over and I was talking to her and I was um, kind of just telling her, it's not that I feel numb. It's just that I, I think I'm just kind of taking a break, if that makes sense. And she's like, think about everything you've been through in the last two years, two years in two years, you have gone through everything that you, you know, and it has put you where you are today. She goes, I I'm not surprised that occasionally you just got to take a break, you know, and I, and I, and I, I know this saying that like that, take a break sounds kind of weird, but it's not, it's just that, um, I don't know how to explain it. Um, but I'm just kind of giving my mind a break this week, I guess would be. Yeah. I mean, it's giving um, yourself a break or, you know, like letting, letting the healed, a healed part of you be the predominant Yes. You know, feeling yeah. right now of just, it doesn't always have to be um, emotional upheaval. Right. Yes. And I think I'm doing that in preparation for what's coming in August because, you know, the whole, that whole concept of um, inner child work, you mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. my logical brain, the way I think um, my logical brain says, okay, you're talking to yourself like you're a kid kind of thing. But my emotional brain is saying, but I need to talk to this mm -hmm. kid like it's a kid kind of thing. But I think what's also making it a little bit more difficult for me is I feel like there are two, two inner children in there. There's the one that grew up 
to the age of about 13 when the abuse started, the sexual abuse started, Mm -hmm. that lived with all of the toxicity of that home and thinking that was normal and then realizing there was nothing normal about being told you're stupid all the time. You'll never amount to anything. The lashing out of my mother, you know, just things like that. Um, And then there's the teenage child who had her virginity taken away. I mean, all of those things, my whole teenage life was, I felt like was in survival mode, absolute survival mode. And, um, and it just, you know, so I, I, I feel like I have these two inside of me and then there's me who's like this mom and this wife and this, uh, Nona and, you know, and, and that logical brain that I can never seem to shut off. So yeah, it's, it has been a couple of years. Let me tell you, Wow. <laughs> I sometimes sit back and think how and Lord, thank you. It is by the grace of God that I am where I am today, because, you know, it's like I told my husband, the DNA stuff apart, if you just look at just what I survived as a kid and when I escaped and went in the army to get away from it, I could have gone in so many different directions, you know, um, as a lot of people will attest to that they did to escape it, to, to, you know, choke those memories. Absolutely. Um, but I didn't. And I, and I am ever so grateful to the Lord that I didn't because I know my very addictive personality could that would have been really bad. So, yeah, so here I am today and, um, still kind of like at times wrapping my mind around, around all of it going, wow, DNA is a really crazy thing. And I think that there is something to be said for nature versus nurture. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so yeah. So much to think about. It's like, well, it's like you're addicted to quilts now. Yes, I am quilting. You're channeling all that energy into quilting. Um, Toby, thank you so much. I can't even, I think you're doing so, you're doing so much for so you don't even know that you have become this sort of recovery. I think I said this before, like a recovery role model of some kind, (laughs) or, you know, like you, you didn't know that when you began this journey, so much was going to unfold and become unlayered and that you would be so articulate about, about your journey that you now can share it with other people. Um, there's just so, there's so much here. It's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit speechless. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're very welcome. Uh, yeah. It's it. Hey, you know, I'm along for the ride. You're along for the ride. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like not, white knuckling it. And other points, I'm like, whew, got through that right. one. All right, what's next? <laughs> you know, what's next? What's next? So, what's next? That's kind of life, right? Yeah. Next? Here sure. we are. What's next? And I'm gonna put up some resources. We talked about resources for victims of incest. We have talked about. Um, some other, we're going to put up, I'm also going to put up your, some pictures of your quilts. So all that information will be available on social media. Um, but overall, I just feel so lucky to know you 
um, you are just a wealth, a wealth of, 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 of testimony, of testimony to what, what can happen and, and how hard it can be, but how strong we can be. Thank you. <clears throat> and thank you for your pot, for doing the podcast. I can't thank Toby enough for her willingness to tell her story and address the complex cycle of abuse in her family. Um, she does it so plainly, and I'm not sure she even realizes how powerful it is to hear someone talk about how complicated it is to be abused by people you love and how the desire to have a relationship with them can feel as strong as the desire to run away from them. And that may not even be a fair description of the complexity of what we we just heard, but I'm sure that she represents many, many people in that position. Of course, I hope everyone knows that MPE stories don't always uncover or unravel family abuse and secrets, um, but they rarely seem to be isolated incidents of deceit. Uh, everything is connected. And, and I think the more you listen and the more you become a part of our community, you'll understand what I mean. I have put up some resources on my Instagram for anyone who may be affected by sexual abuse or incest. So please make sure that you're following me at Everything's Relative Podcast on, every, on, <laughs> on Instagram. Um, that's really the best way to follow along as I collect stories and, and it's where you can find all the extra content to go with most episodes. So please join me over there. And whether you've personally experienced any of the things we talk about here at Everything's Relative or not, I really hope you're taking care of yourselves out there because we are talking about very big things. Please reach out to someone you love if you need some extra support. And if you don't know who to reach out to, you can always reach out to me. I'm at eve at everythingsrelativepodcast.com. And there'll be a new episode next week. Thanks for being here with me. In the meantime, stay hydrated, don't litter, uh, eat your veggies, and don't leave dirty dishes in the sink. Bye. Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Kaylin Egan and Eve Sturgis. Eve is a licensed therapist in the state of California, but conversations on this podcast are not therapy sessions. This podcast is edited by Stephanie Delonzik, the logo design is by Ivy McNally, and the music is used with permission by Goodbye the Band. No, you can watch Moana in the other room. Raya? Not Raya. We already watched Raya. Now it's Moana. Up. Up. Okay, I'll get up. I'll be right there. Hi, Adam Peacock from My Neighbors Are Dead here. Each week on My Neighbors Are Dead, I talk to the tertiary characters real and imagined from your favorite horror films. But this summer, we're doing something different. We are taking you to the northern woods of Michigan, all the way up to Whitlow Lake, to bring you the original tale of the My Neighbors Are Dead Summer Camp Massacre. We're bringing back some fan favorites of the show as we try to piece together through interviews with survivors, witnesses, and with any luck, the killer Chad himself, we're going to try to piece together exactly what the hell happened up there at Camp Whitlow Lake. It starts June 22nd, and it runs all summer long. That's the My Neighbors Are Dead Summer Camp Massacre. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
campfire. <laughs>